Hey, all you creeps. My name is Elle, and I'm your host here on Murder on the 420 Express, a podcast where we explore the intersections of true crime, cannabis, and the paranormal. I'm here to prove the misconception that potheads can't learn. All they need is a subject that matters to them. Each week, I'll be bringing some of the most interesting and mysterious true crime cases from around the world, and we get pretty stoned along the way. But this isn't just a show about getting high and talking about crime. We'll also be exploring the paranormal elements that often seem to be present in some of these cases, as well as examining multiple theories about the supernatural. So whether you're a true crime fanatic, a cannabis connoisseur, or just interested in the paranormal, this show is for you. So grab your favorite piece, get comfortable, and join me as we get stoned and mind-blown and devil into the world of murder on the 420 Express. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Murder on the 420 Express. It's me, Elle, and in today's episode, if you are a really big fan of Stranger Things, then this episode has your name written all over it, my guy. Um, But before we dive into today's topic, um, let's go over the strain of the day. All right, so let's get into the strain of the day. The strain of the day um, that I have picked out is called Space Queen. And I actually got this strain um, kind of just as a, you know, I need to make my order $75 so that it can be delivered to my house. So <laughs> um, I saw the name and I was like, you know what? That sounds pretty cool. I think I'm going to get it. And let me just tell you, I was indubitably motherfucker surprised by how amazing this strain was it took me aback so the first time that I hit it I I did not hit it and quit it I hit it and was mother I I was surprised because the taste that I got was very fruity it was almost like I was smoking a strawberry swisher or like just some sort of like really pungent flavoring that like it was it wasn't too overpowering in fact it was so subtle that I was like what what is that so let me tell you about this strain space queen is a hybrid strain of cannabis that is known for its unique combination of stativa and indica genetics it is believed to have been created by crossing cinderella 19 also one of my favorite strains a stativa-dominant hybrid with a strain of Romulan, an indica-dominant hybrid. One of the most notable effects of Space Queen is its intense euphoria. I was definitely getting (laughs) some sense of euphoria. It was really nice. It was a really calm high, a really calming effect. Users often report feeling uplifted and energized, making it a great strain for socializing and creative activities. Definitely, 100%, double check. However, it is also a relaxing body high that is perfect for unwinding after a long day. This strain is also known for its unique flavor and aroma, which is described as sweet and fruity with hints of tropical fruits like pineapples and mangoes, which if you look it up on Leafly, it says that it's apple. The taste is apple, and I did not get apple from that. But I digress. So the feelings, so the effects, 
right? What you're going to feel right off the bat is uplifted, euphoric, and giggly. The side effects that you're going to get from this lovely strain is definitely some dry mouth, some dry eyes, and some paranoia, which (laughs) what better way, (laughs) what better strain to be smoking on if not one that makes you fucking paranoid as we're going to be talking about the Montauk Project. Also, code name The Real Stranger Things. All right, so what is the Montauk Project? I some of you have probably never even heard of the Montauk Project, which you know, I'm honestly not even going to blame you, okay? Cuz I didn't even know about this particular case or conspiracy theory until probably about the third season of Stranger Things when it started circulating the internet about the Montauk Project and how the Duffer Brothers pretty much, I wouldn't necessarily say copy and pasted, but they definitely got, they had to have gotten some inspiration from real life events that happened at what is known as the Montauk Project. So let me give you a brief synopsis before we go into it, right? So what is the Montauk Project? The Montauk Project is claimed to be a secret set of experiments illegally performed by the United States government in order to advance mind control technology. In addition to mind control experiments, the Montauk Project also supposedly studied time travel and interdimensional travel, among other things. The main idea behind this project was human experimenting. While many people will immediately write off this conspiracy as just a theory, this theory is not too far off from fact. We all know about other experiments that have been confirmed to be fact, like MKUltra and Project Stargate. Society cannot immediately write off the possibility of the Montauk Project being legitimate. So where did these horrific human experiments take place? Like we're talking about the Montauk Project, right? And if you say Montauk, New York, then you hit the nail on the head. But let me give you a brief overview, right? So in Montauk, New York, there is a military base that was constructed in 1942. It is known as Fort Hero. Now, the purpose of this base was an army defense post and it was created as a defense in World War II to defend against a German attack via ships or submarines. In fact, the construction of the base was to mimic that of a fishing village to trick the enemy. The buildings resemble New England style cottages. How fucking cool is that? In 1947, the Army deactivated the base, and in 1951, the base was transferred to the Air Force. During this time, the Cold War was at its conception. The Air Force took to installing radar and anti-aircraft artillery, which if you go to our Facebook, not Facebook, so sorry. (laughs) If you go to our Instagram or TikTok, I'm going to have pictures of what... um, Camp Hero looks like now and um, it'll show you all of these um, like where they would hold like these really big guns to take down aircrafts it's fucking insane dude but I digress this is just the start of the conspiracies that surround Fort Hero the Air Force installed what is known as Sage Radar Towers This imposing structure was once the mother station to a series of 12 smaller manned radar towers along the East Coast. This network of towers gave the U.S. government about 30 minutes of warning time in the event of an incoming Soviet attack. To this day, out of the 12, it is the only one that remains. 
According to multiple sources, the base remained active until 1982. The, in 1984, the General Service Administration attempted to sell the entire facility to real estate developers. Yeah, because that's a really good idea, selling an old military base off to real estate developers. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and obviously, this did not go over well. Uh, protests broke out amongst environmental activists claiming that the site had many valuable and unique ecosystems of wildlife. It was during this time that the facility was transferred to the National Park Service, which then turned it over to the New York State Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation. Fort Hero remained largely undeveloped during the 80s and 90s. In 1996, a study was undergone for the development of a golf course, Again, environmentalists were concerned for the impact that creating a golf course would do for the local wildlife, especially the blue-spotted salamander and the eastern tiger salamander. But the idea for creating this golf course was dropped in 1999. Camp Hero was officially opened to the public as of September 18th, 2002. It sits on 755 acres, 415 of those acres are the military base. Um, but it's heavily wooded land operates as Camp Hero State Park. The park features forests, freshwater wetlands, and bluffs with dramatic views of the Atlantic Ocean. Visitors can drive, bike, horseback ride, and walk along the paved roads of the former military base or set up a picnic alongside crumbling structures sealed with <laughs> boards and covered with do not enter warning signs. There are plans in the works, even now, almost 20 years later, to create a museum and an interpretive center that will focus on World War II and the Cold War history inside the radar tower. It's 20 years later. I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen, especially if some weird-ass shit went down. But I digress. This episode is brought to you by A Love Story Photography, where every story is founded by love. You can find them on Instagram at a love story photo or shooting them an email at alovestoryphotography at yahoo.com. So let's set the stage, Yeah. It was a dark and stormy night in Montauk, a small beach town located at the very tip of Long Island. The wind howled through the deserted streets, whipping the sand into a frenzy and causing the old street lamps to flicker and die. The only sign of life was a lone figure, huddled against the elements, making their way towards the old military base, Camp Hero, that stood guard over the town. The base was said to be cursed, the site of countless tragedies and disappearances over the years. But this person was determined to uncover the truth, no matter the cost. As they approached the abandoned radar tower, they could feel a chill run down their spine, as if the very air around them had grown colder. They knew that they were not alone, that something was watching them, waiting for them to make a mistake. And deep down, they knew that once they entered the tower building, there would be no turning back. Preston Nichols. Get this guy in your dome, because he plays a key role in this story. Preston Nichols is an American author and researcher known for his work on the alleged government mind control and time travel experiments known as the Montauk Project. He is the author of the book, The Montauk Project, Experiments in Time, in which he details his personal experience and research into the project. This book is something that I am going to be referencing a lot in this episode. 
The Montauk Project is a controversial topic and has been the subject of so much speculation and conspiracy theories. Nichols' book provides an in-depth look into the alleged experiments and their potential implications. Our story starts in 1971. Preston is working for an undisclosed location, which we all know to be Eaton A.I.L. Division. He is working in Long Island, which is approximately an hour and 45 minutes from Montauk. Over the years, he obtained his electrical engineering degree, becoming a specialist in electromagnetic phenomenon. In 1971, he obtained a grant to study mental telepathy. Mm, that's interesting. His job was to determine whether or not that it existed. What he found was astonishing. I began my research and found out that telepathic communication operated on principles that are strikingly similar to that of radio waves. I had discovered a wave that could be termed a telepathic wave. In some respects, it behaved like a radio wave. I set out to get the characteristics of this telepathic wave. I studied their wavelengths and their pretenant facts. I am determined that while a telepathic wave behaves like a radio wave, it isn't exactly a radio wave, although it propagates in a similar fashion to that of electromagnetic waves and possesses like properties. Not all of these fit into normal wave functions. I found all of this very exciting. I had discovered a whole brand new electromagnetic function that was not in any of the textbooks I'd had ever seen. I wanted to learn as much as I could and studied all of the activities that might use this type of function. My interest into metaphysics had been launched. I continued to research in my spare time and collaborated with different psychics to test and monitor their various responses. In 1974, I noticed a particular phenomena that was common to all of the psychics that I worked with. Every day at the same hour, their minds would jam. They couldn't think effectively. Suspecting that the interference was caused by an electronic signal, I used my radio equipment and correlated what came on over the airwaves. At the time, the psychics were non-functional. Whenever a 410 to 420 megahertz cycle appeared in the air, they were jammed. When the 410 to 420 megahertz cycle was off, the psychics would open, open back up after 20 minutes. Nichols probably does one of the most main character energies I had ever seen. He tracked where the signal was coming from. He wanted to know where the signal was was coming from, so he grabbed he, he grabbed what was fucking closest to him, I guess. He, he grabbed a modified TV antenna and a VHF receiver and set out to find where this signal was being transmitted from. He traced the signal to the Sage Radar Tower on the base of Fort Hero. Quote, at first, I thought that this signal might have been generated accidentally. I checked around and found out that the base was still active. Unfortunately, security was tight and the guards wouldn't give any useful information. They said that the radar was for a project run by the FAA. I couldn't press the point beyond that. In fact, their statement didn't make a lot of sense. This was a World War II radar defense system known as Sage Radar. It was totally antiquated, and there is not any known reason why the FAA would need such a system. I didn't believe them, but couldn't help being intrigued. Unfortunately, I had hit a dead end. I continued my psychic research, but didn't get anywhere 
on the investigation of the Montauk antenna until 1984 when a friend of mine called, end quote. According to Nichols, he was told that the site of the old military base was now abandoned. His friend encouraged him to go and take a look, and he did. When he got there, it seemed like out of a scene from a movie, and definitely not how a branch from the U.S. military would leave a base they are no longer wishing to use. There was debris everywhere, paper scattered across the floor. As he continued to walk around, he noticed a lot of high-voltage equipment, which is a dream for an electrical engineer like himself. So he calls the Surplus Disposal Agency in Michigan to see if he can get his hands on this equipment. After his initial call, he hadn't heard from anyone in weeks. He decided to call again. No new info, and no one can get a hold of who owns the equipment. He waits another few weeks. He calls again and was directed to this guy he refers to as John Smith. So he meets up with this guy. and He meets up with this guy in person because this person doesn't want to talk over the phone. Suspicious. Anyways, he told Nichols that no one officially admitted to owning the equipment and that if he wanted it, he could go and get it. He gave him this official, unofficial document that would grant him access onto the base. All he had to do was show it to the caretaker and claim the treasure that he was seeking. So he plans a day to go out there with his assistant, Brian. Now, Brian is a psychic that has been working with Nichols for years. And once they get to the base, the caretaker was like, yo, this is your one and only free pass. So go find the equipment you want to take. Take it and leave forever. But if you ever need anything, you can find me at the local bar here in Montauk every night at 7 p.m. Nichols was like, bet. And him and Brian entered the base and decided to go separate ways. It was during the time that they were um, separated that Nichols meets this homeless guy. He told me that he had been living in the building ever since the base was abandoned. He also said that there had been a big experiment a year earlier and that everything had gone crazy. Apparently, he'd never gotten over it himself. In fact, the man recognized me, but I had no idea who he was or what he was talking about. I did listen to his story. He said he had been a technician at the base and then he'd been AWOL. He had deserted the project just before the base had been abandoned. He spoke about a big beast appearing and frightening everyone away. He told me a lot about the technical details of the machinery and how things worked. He also said something that was very strange. He told me that he remembered me well. In fact, I had been his boss on the project. Okay, of course. I thought it was pure nonsense. I didn't know then that there was any truth to his story. This was just the beginning of my discovery that the Montauk project was real. Weird, right? So he he goes and he finds Brian at this point, right? He asks Brian to do a reading, and what Brian was picking up on was very similar to what this homeless guy was saying, to a T. As a matter of fact, mind control was the main focus behind the reading. He spoke about the irregular weather patterns and a vicious beast and the local wildlife being affected. Within the next few weeks, things started to get even stranger. A few weeks later, I was surprised by a visitor who barged into my lab. He came straight to the lab, which was in the back of the house. He didn't ring the doorbell or anything. He claimed to know me and said that I had been his boss. He went on to explain many of the technical details of the Montauk project. His story corroborated... God, that's such a hard word for me to say. What psychics and the homeless man had told me. 
I didn't recognize him, but listened to all he had to say. I was sure that something had gone on at the Montauk base, but I didn't know what. My personal involvement was evident, but I still didn't consider it very seriously. I was, however, puzzled by different people recognizing me. I had to make it my business to investigate Montauk. So I went out and camped on the beach for a week or so. I went to bars and asked the locals for stories about the base. I talked to people on the beach, on the streets, wherever I could find them. I asked all about the strange activities that were uh, purported to have occurred. 106 different people said that it had snowed in the middle of August. There were listings of hurricane winds that came out of nowhere. Thunderstorms, lightning, and hail were also reported under unusual circumstances. They would appear when previously there had been no meteorological evidence to expect such. There were other unusual stories besides the weather. These included stories of animals coming into town in masses and sometimes crashing through the windows. By this time, I had taken different psychics out to the base. The stories confirmed what psychics had been able to determine through their own sensitivity. He collected some bizarre information, and unfortunately, he didn't have any answers. He was also getting more and more people who were starting to recognize him, even though he had no idea who these people were. Now, in 1984, a man by the name of Duncan Cameron, remember that name because it's very important, came into Nichols' life and would eventually help him put the pieces together on these strange occurrences. He quickly became involved in the research, showing much enthusiasm. Brian started to become suspicious of him, and so was Nichols. Brian was not about Duncan's vibes, so much so he left. He was like 86 bitches, deuces, I don't like this guy, I don't like his vibe, bye. Nichols was about to test that loyalty hard. He brought him to the base. But much to his surprise, Duncan knew where everything was. He knew what every building's purpose and piece of equipment was used for. Obviously, he had been there before. Layers of programming started to unravel from Duncan, describing new information about the nature of the base itself. At this point, he was spewing out information like a fire hydrant. It was later uncovered that Duncan had been sent to Nichols to befriend him, kill him, and then destroy his lab and all the evidence that he had collected at the time. Duncan had also revealed that he had been a part of the Philadelphia experiment. Now, I'm going to put a little pin in this right now because before we go any further if you want to know more about the philadelphia experiment make sure you are following the tiktok our tiktok account or um, instagram account because the story of the philadelphia experiment will be posted on there that's where i'd like to go over all of the smaller cases but essentially i'll give you a brief synopsis of what the philadelphia experiment was so the philadelphia experiment is the precursor of the Montauk project. And essentially what they did is they tried to make their ships, the U.S. tried to make their ships invisible to radar and the naked eye. And according to specific documentation, supposedly they were very successful. But I digress. Back to the story. Nichols visited Montauk quite a few times with different people, and he was starting to uncover a lot of things. His work with Duncan was uncovering things Nichols didn't even realize about himself that have been true, like how he um, had been involved in the Montauk project. Moving forward, groups of people started to come out of the woodworks with claims of their own involvement in this. Mm -hmm. 
as a group, we decided action had to be taken. We weren't sure exactly what to do. So we sat around and discussed it. What was the best thing to do? Publish it immediately? We talked about it extensively. In July of 1986, we decided that I should go to the United States Psychotronics Association in Chicago and talk about it. I did. And it got an uproar. Word got around fast to those who didn't want the Montauk story to be revealed. Suddenly, here I was, giving an unannounced lecture. The information got out to hundreds of people, then swept under the rug without creating a public furor. To this day, I still appreciate the open forum and the free speech that the USPA provided me. Now, we decided to feed the information to the federal government. One of the associates knew the nephew of a senior senator from the Southwest. The nephew, who, will, who we will call Lenny, worked for the senator. Now, on a side note, it has come to be believed that this so-called senator was Barry Goldwater. I personally, in my own research, wasn't really able to find if this was true. So we're going to go with allegedly it was Barry Goldwater. We gave the information to Lenny, who passed it to his uncle. This information included pictures of the orders given to the different military personnel, which we had found strewn about the base. The senator did a personal investigation and verified that military technicians had in fact been assigned to the base. The senator also discovered that the base was decommissioned, derelict, and mothballed since 1969. Having served his country as an Air Force general, he was particularly interested to know why the Air Force personnel were working on a derelict base. And where did the money come from to open up the base and run it? So the senator found no appropriations, no oversight committees, and no payments. So how was this base not receiving funding and still be in operation? Now, since we are... In the timeline of 1984, I should also mention that this really bad B-rated movie came out, and it's called The Philadelphia Project. Yes, we're going back on that. Why is this relevant? This guy that goes by the name of Al Balick, who was 54 at the time, he claimed that when he saw the movie, he experienced an overwhelming sense of deja vu. Using new age therapies and practices, he was able to unlock recessed memories of who he was and what his involvement was in this project and another project, the Montauk Project. He was able to confirm how the two were intertwined together. He even claimed that uh, Al Balick wasn't even his real name. He said his real name was Edward Cameron claiming to be the brother of Duncan Cameron. He even stated that he and Duncan had been on the crew of the USS Aldridge during the time of the Philadelphia experiment. I mean, that is really, really far-fetched, right? It sounds like it straight came out of the cuckoo's nest. Well... He brought this story to the Mutual UFO Network Conference in 1990. His story started to become more intricate. The main concept, though, behind his story was that him and his brother joined up with the Montauk Project and that it was created from the electromagnetic research from the Philadelphia Experiment. Balick even claimed that he befriended Nichols back in the 1970s and the pair invented what is known as the Montauk chair, a mind-reading device that was a central component of the entire project. This is what I would like to call the start 
of psychic espionage. This device was actually reading the human aura, which is a word that psychics and metaphysicians use to describe the electromagnetic field that surrounds the human body. In the same way that human speech is carried via radio waves, this device was carrying thoughts which theoretically manifest in the aura. It consisted of a chair in which a person would sit. Coils which served as sensors were placed around the chair. There were also three receivers, six channels, and a Cray-1 supercomputer, which would display what was on the person's mind digitally and on screen. So let me break down the logistics behind the use of this chair and why it is so important or why it was so important. My understanding is that this chair would reduce the risk that came with human experimentation by allowing one person to be seated in said chair. The theory was that a person in the chair would transmit an alternate reality to the crew like the Philadelphia experiment. When the ship became invisible, the crew would then be in synchronization with the alternate reality and wouldn't become disoriented or mentally lost. The weight of the reality shifts was a result of one person's projection of consciousness. That projection was then amplified by the Cray-1 computer, which was used to decode the transmissions being generated from the person in the chair to the interface of the IBM 360 computer. This computer, in turn, was a connected interface with the Montauk transmitter. So many connections. So many cables. The computer was needed to control the modulation of the transmitter so that the transmitter could frequency hop across the entire band. I know that sounds like a lot. I know it sounds like a lot to take in. But once you start like really thinking about it, the more it actually (laughs) starts to kind of make sense. I listen it could be the space queen talking it could just be the conspiracy theorist in myself or it could just be the spiritual guru that resides within me but this shit is starting to sound like it could actually possibly fucking happen in my eyes it sounds that sounds feasible bitch like, <laughs> like let's be honest <clears throat> this chair and the experiment that and the experiments that were performed in it were an amplification of the human psyche to create an alternate reality by frequency hopping. It took over a year to sync the computer and the transmitter together. The only problem they were having at the time was the feedback that would come from the transmitter to the chair. The solution that they came up with was to create distance. So they moved the chair. They moved the chair to the ITT Center in Southampton, New York. After they moved the chair, it took another year in order for them to get a readable signal. They are out here opening portals in time and motherfucking space. They conducted experiments that allowed the person in the chair to remote view with any person in the world, as seen on Stranger Things. And it's literally just that. It's called remote viewing. Um, they have the equipment and they have the technology. This is where the claims of children as young as four being abducted from their homes and off the streets come into play. Allegations like that should not be taken lightly. These abductees were known as the Montauk Boys. 
these children were psychologically broken and were brainwashed into forgetting their time at Camp Hero. More people were coming forward with claims of being a part of this experiment. Like, for, like 52-year-old Stuart uh, Swerdlow. Swerdlow? I think that's how you say his name. He told the son back in 2017. 2017. That wasn't that fucking long ago, bro. Um, of his abuse and the others that had also endured this type of abuse when the experiments quoting, sorry, let me quote him (laughs) quote. When the experiments started, they targeted expendable boys like orphans, runaways, or the children of drug addicts, the kind of kids no one would really come looking for. The aim was to fracture your mind so that they could program you. They would change the temperature from very hot to very cold, starve you, then overfeed you. I remember being beaten with a wooden pole. And they loved to hold your breath underwater until you nearly drowned. This was effective. It makes a person likely to listen to and obey their, quote, rescuers. They also used LSD to put our brains into an altered state, end quote. All right, so I do want to bring up Cameron Duncan again, or Duncan Cameron. So sorry, I'm saying his name backwards. Now, Duncan was an incredibly skilled psychic. In fact, Duncan, okay, Duncan was the psychic who made the operation work. The entire system was tuned to him. Sure, there were about two other psychics who were retained as backup in case Duncan was killed or incapacitated. But the entire project, the entire thing was attuned to Duncan. So on August 5th, 1983, they were given direction to run the transmitter continuously. So this means that Duncan had to be in that chair continuously focusing his awareness his consciousness his focus on whatever they were trying to get him to do now they weren't sure what the hell happened but the system and the equipment and the transmitter um, it synced up with something else and they weren't sure what it was but they were very much aware of the fact that it was creating a portal that was showing the USS Aldridge on the other motherfucking side. And in order to avoid ripping a hole in time and space, they had to divert Duncan away from seeing himself and his brother. The project had now reached apocalyptic proportions. Natural laws were being violated, and it seemed everyone involved felt uncomfortable. Three colleagues and myself had been privately voicing misgivings about the project over a period of months. We had talked about the pitfalls of dealing with time and how this might affect the karma of the planet. We hoped... The project would tourniquet itself consistently. Our little cannibal created a contingency program that only Duncan could activate. It was designed to crash the entire project. We finally decided we'd had enough of the whole experiment. The the contingency program was activated by someone approaching Duncan while he was in the chair and simply whispering the time is now at this moment he let loose a monster from his subconscious and the transmitter actually portrayed a hairy monster it was big hairy hungry and nasty but it didn't appear underground in the null point it showed up somewhere on base. 
honestly, that sounds so fucking terrifying. And also, he manifested a creature he thought of into reality. If that's not fucking terrifying in and of itself, I don't know what the fuck is. Okay? I don't know. I don't know. Okay? So after these events on August 12th, 1983 the base was abandoned and by the end of the year there was no knowledge of anyone had ever been on the base in may of 1984 a special ops called the black barrettes were sent to the base and told to shoot anything that moves a second special ops group was sent in after the first to remove any and all equipment that would be considered quote too sensitive to leave behind End quote. The next step was to seal the underground of the base. And six months later, cement mixers were seen driving onto the base to fill in the underground. It's crazy to think that this even happened. Even if it is allegedly, allegedly this happened. I always say that there's no such thing as coincidences. Everything happens for a reason. That is not a reason or an excuse to dismiss the true horrors of human experimentation. A story isn't just made out of thin air. There is always a sliver of truth hidden somewhere in the noise of exaggeration. Who is to say that this didn't happen? How can all of these people who come forward or who have come forward claim the same events? These experiments happened and they survived. How could someone who goes through this kind of abuse be exaggerating a story at that point? Do you know what I mean? <sighs> Child abduction, human experiments, LSD, MK Ultra was probably one of the worst classified human experimentations that happened and that has been declassified and proven to have happened. How can this be any further from the truth? How can the Montauk project be any further from the truth? Is it because, you know, their use of psychics? Because psychics have a sensitivity to things around them sensitivity to electromagnetics they have sensitivity to what we now call a day's energy the vibes were fucking off man i just felt something it was weird like nowadays nowadays how could it be any further from the truth if the spiritual community is focusing on the ability to shift your reality and the ability to create your own reality just by training your thoughts, rehabilitation in your self-talk, then who is to say what could happen if you were to add transmitters and computers to the pot? Could we be living in a projection of what the government wants us to think? Think about it. In 2020, when the whole world was in a lockdown due to COVID, a lot of people began to wake up. They became aware of things that were, started, that were staring them directly in the face. Is the government really going to share that they have figured out how to program consciousness? Probably fucking not. Are we ever going to know the truth behind the Montauk project? Are we ever going to know the real implications that this, this type of experimentation could literally cause? I mean, Nichols says it directly in his book himself. The experimentations were becoming apocalyptic. We all know the number one rule of time travel, right? is to never run into yourself because at that point you would create what's called a paradox. Right then and there, you would create what is called a rip in the time and space continuum. It's not good. Doctor Who fucking brings it up. Never run into yourself. 
fucking what other ones harry potter when hermione granger has her little time turner she's never run into yourself it is like an unwritten fucking law and the experimentations that they were doing were bringing them into what nichols said was apocalyptic so what did they do they created a fail safe they already had a fail safe in mind and keep in mind duncan was the main key to this whole fucking operation, according to Nichols. Allegedly, he was the one that had the entire, like, without him, it wouldn't have fucking run. The whole thing was attuned to him. He could have been having a motherfucking bad day. He was like, you know what? That coffee tasted like shit. Now my, now my day is ruined. Now, (laughs) now my day is ruined. And, you know, to me, to me, if they were on to something, if they had the data and the collections and they fucking knew what this type of experimentation would do and what they could weaponize it as, let's just call, call it as we see it. They were going to weaponize it. It's the military. What else do you think they're going to fucking do? <sighs> But at this point, I am rambling on by myself. So on that note, let me know what you think of this episode. I want to know your thoughts on this episode. Was it something that you want to see more of? Is Do you have your own thoughts about this? Do you have your own opinions and theories to share because now that we've gone through most of it if not all of it does it not sound like fucking stranger things like Elle created the upside down she created all of this shit by pushing Henry Creel she was like bitch be gone just created a whole nother fucking dimension a whole other world I don't know but anyways on that note, thanks for tuning in to Murder on the 420 Express. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and found it informative and entertaining. If you have any feedback, suggestions for future topics, or want to leave a review, please don't hesitate to reach out and send us an email at murderonthe420podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Murder on the 420 Official to stay up to date on new episodes and other updates. I'm your host, Elle, leaving you with a higher train of thought.